Lord Jesus, today is Sunday and we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> you are the source of our living hope. Every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's day, your day, when you triumphed over the grave, over sin and death. And now we look to you, the rising star, the morning star that never sets as our hope, our source of hope. This morning, help us to reflect on the resurrection and how this fundamental truth of our faith needs to pervade our life and all that we do. May it inform all of our thoughts and fill our hearts with great hope, with great desire, with great thirst to be united with you forever in the Father's house. Mother Mary, even though you stood at the foot of the cross and had to bury Jesus, you were filled with great hope. You believed that he would rise. And I think it's safe to say that you were the first one that he appeared to, even though it's not recorded in the sacred scriptures, that being a good son, he would have appeared first to his mother. And that that encounter was so precious, no words could describe it. So it's left to our imagination. We turn to you today, Mary, and ask you to accompany us in these last couple hours of our retreat. We believe that there's more. We had a beautiful day yesterday and a wonderful night last night, but we believe there's more for us here this morning, more that you want to give us, more that God has given to you to give to us. And so we pray to you this morning. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, it is Sunday. Happy Sunday. And I know, as deacons, uh, or you know, men in formation to be ordained deacons, some of you are already deacons, Sunday can become uh, a day of work and not a day of rest. So it's a challenge. But whatever you're asked to do on Sundays, I would just propose to you that it be an opportunity to live that day with great faith, to live the liturgy with great faith, with great hope, and to let it really, as I said in that opening prayer, inform and pervade each and every day of your week. We are a, an hallelujah people. We are a hope-filled people because of the resurrection. And we've been talking this weekend about desire and hope a lot and love and intimacy with God. 
we have a great example of that in Mary Magdalene. We celebrated her feast day uh, a couple Fridays ago. And I just wanted to read again those readings because they speak so beautifully about the passion with which we should go after Jesus. So this is from the Song of Songs, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This was the first reading on Mary Magdalene's day. The bride says, so that's so, I mean, it's clear why the church picks this reading for, for Mary Magdalene, because it really depicts Mary's search for the risen Jesus. The bride says, on my bed at night, I sought him whom my heart loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise then and go about the city in the streets and crossings. I will seek him whom my heart loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen came upon me, the angels, you could say, as they made their rounds of the city. Have you seen him whom my heart loves? I had hardly left them when I found him whom my heart loves. So if you haven't read or prayed with the Song of Songs much, uh, I recommend that. That can be a great way to jumpstart your prayer life. And it has many different layers of meaning. Uh, a lot of different spiritual writers have commented on it. There's the, the layer of, of just the surface, what it's talking about, human love, the beauty of human love. But then it's also a metaphor for our relationship with God and God loving us as a divine bridegroom. Again, I know, guys, that can be hard to get very excited about. <laughs> but at least it speaks to the passion with which God loves us and the closeness uh, that he wants to have with us. So then let's look at the gospel from that Feast of Mary Magdalene. It's John 20, verses 1 to 2, and then 11 to 18. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, 
I've seen the Lord, and then reported what he told her. So we can admire her for her determination. Think about it. She went to the tomb early in the morning without any kind of plan. She may have thought, yeah, there might be a big stone in front of the tomb. But she didn't let that stop her. Like, how am I going to remove that stone? <laughs> but she didn't let that stop her. She was just going to go. She just had to be there. So I think that's uh, perhaps a metaphor for your time of prayer. I really want to encourage you to develop a habit for mental prayer every day, meditation, contemplation, whatever you want to call it, but quiet time with God. <laughs> and really try to safeguard it and really seek it, go after it, and help each other to make that happen. Because as we were saying last night, you have to abide with him if you're going to abide in him. So there's just no substitute for that time. And the liturgy of the hours and the mass and your rosary, that's all good. That's all good. It's, it's really good. But there's really no substitute for just that quiet time of sitting with the Lord on a regular basis. So as a, as a takeaway, you know, if, you don't all, if you don't already have a regular time that you've carved out, and it doesn't even have to be a regular place, although that helps to, uh, to make that resolution would be a wonderful takeaway from this weekend. And then as, as couples and as, as brothers in the ministry, to keep encouraging each other to and help each other to guard that time, to give that priority. And Mary Magdalene is a great example of that. So I wanted to also highlight Peter this morning from John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Again, John picking up on that revelation. Jesus revealing himself. And that's what happens in that time of prayer. I think, I mean, I've heard a lot of good comments from last night. You know, when you're there all together, the level of faith in the room, the level of expectation just goes higher and higher. We had put in a lot of time throughout the day. We had prepared ourselves. And now we're in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, relic of the true cross, good music, right? We're all praying for each other. And it sounds like many of you had this very deep personal encounter with God. So that doesn't only have to happen on retreat weekends, <laughs> right? I mean, 
It's a Tabor kind of moment, a Mount Tabor transfiguration kind of moment. So it's not that we can expect to have those every single day, but it's, it's, the, it's the daily time spent with God that allows those Tabor moments to happen from time to time. So you gotta put in the time in order to have those new encounters that, that really do transform you more and more. And I think, yeah, let's look at Peter <laughs> as another inspiration here. So Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember back in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus first called Peter and they'd been out all night and they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you caught any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So I'm not a fisherman, but from what I understand, you would never do that. Like, that was just as crazy as when Jesus suggested to them in Luke 5 that they go out into deep waters and lower their nets for the catch. Like, hey, we've already been out there all night. There's nothing out there, Lord. But okay. And similarly, to cast the nets on the right side of the boat was something they would never do. It was just not the practice. But okay. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in for the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he was stripped for work and sprang into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. The word for torn, there is schizo. That's where we get the word schism. <laughs> to cut, to tear. I think St. Jerome says that why 153 was the number of nations in the world at that time. So Jesus bringing all of the nations together, gathering all of the nations together into one flock. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. So let's pause there for a minute. This was something that Jesus wanted to do for Peter. He knew that Peter needed to have this moment where he could repair for his denial from Holy Thursday night, Good Friday morning, when he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. So this was a way that Jesus was able to have Peter repair that damage done. But I also like to highlight the fact that what Peter did, think about this, I and mean, we're so familiar with the story, we failed to, I think, appreciate the significance of this or, or the drama that Peter had been picked to be the leader of the band, right? <laughs> to be the first vicar of Christ, the first pope. And then he goes on to deny that he even knows Jesus when Jesus really needed him most. But even that did not disqualify him from his mission. And I think sometimes we think that our failures, our faults, tend to disqualify us from the mission that God has entrusted to us. Or, again, we tend to put ourselves in a box and say, well, I could never do that because I've done this. You know, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I struggle with this or I struggle with that and so yeah I yeah no no I got no <laughs> but we can't disqualify ourselves if what Peter did didn't disqualify him right I don't think there's anything we could do that would disqualify us doesn't mean that we don't have to repent, uh, but it just goes to show that God is so merciful, he's so understanding, and it helps us to recognize that we really do need to depend on the Lord, no matter what our mission is. 
no matter how big or how small our mission may may be, we absolutely need to depend on the Lord. I didn't highlight it last night, but I read it. In John 15, when Jesus is talking about abiding in him, what reason does he give for it? John 15, 5. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Do we really believe that? It's the word of God. But do we believe that? Of course, we believe it on some level. But we have to let that sink deep down into our hearts. Yesterday we talked about being poor in spirit. Well, this is a great example of what it means to be poor in spirit, a great definition of what it means to be poor in spirit, to depend radically on the Lord, knowing that apart from him, I, I can do nothing. So you can't disqualify yourself. You haven't disqualified yourself. The Lord knows you. He knows whom he has called. The Lord knows. The Lord knows where you've been. The Lord knows where you're at. But the Lord also knows where he wants to lead you. And he knows better than you do how his grace can transform you. I mean, the fact that you're in this room testifies to the fact that he's already been working in your life. Again, I've, I've heard some of your stories and they're just so beautiful, so amazing. So it's important that we remember that it's important for you to meditate on that, you know, how he's already been working. Like we were, we were stressing yesterday the importance of memory and remembering and thanking God for those blessings. It sounds like last night many of you had some powerful encounters with the Lord. So let that encounter from last night continue to be something that inspires you and motivates you to keep seeking him and to spend time with him, especially in the Blessed Sacrament. Let's keep reading here because, again, Peter, he's so funny, you know. Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, right, that little whippersnapper, who had lain close to his breast at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So, I mean, <laughs> right after having this encounter with Jesus and this intimate moment, immediately turns to compare himself to John. You know, well, what's, what's up with him? You know, like, what's between you and him? Yeah. And 
Jesus just had to be like, oh, are you kidding me? Just, just follow me, Peter. Would you just mind your own business, please? <laughs> so it's a great temptation, for sure, to compare ourselves with other people. You know, how, how's God working in that guy's life? Or what's she up to there with the Lord? You know, what are they doing? What's up with that? And if it inspires you, great. But it really doesn't help to compare yourself to other people. Because usually we're doing that as a way of trying to make ourselves feel better. Or the devil uses it. It's a real trap because as we get into that, we then find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people who apparently have, you know, grown more than we have and are whatever, holier than we are or more gifted than we are, and then we get discouraged. The enemy will flip that and, and use it to discourage us. So it's, it's really a double-edged sword. Don't want don't to fall into that comparing yourself with others. <clears throat> You can be inspired by other people and you can thank God for their good example and leave it at that. You know, we can learn from each other. The fact is we all have different gifts and all of those gifts are, are really necessary if the body of Christ is going to be running on all cylinders, to use a Detroit example, <laughs> a Detroit metaphor. We want to be running on all cylinders. We want all cylinders to be firing, which means that we all want to be using our gifts. I like to use an example, too, of, of hockey. I know the Red Wings have done pretty well uh, here in Detroit, so people can relate to when the Red Wings have to play a man down if there's somebody sitting in the penalty box. It's a lot harder to, to play. It's a lot harder to score goals with somebody in the, in the penalty box, right? So think about the church when we have people in the penalty box, so to speak, you know, who aren't on the ice, who aren't in the game. It's hard. And so we all want to be engaged. We want everybody to be alive and active that's what we should be praying for. And so uh, that takes a lot of humility, a lot of, uh, yeah, just purity of intention, a lot of charity, a lot of patience. So these are all things to be, to be praying for, to be asking God for. Perhaps a word, too, about Peter, going back to Peter there. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. I imagine most of you can relate to that. (laughs) 
being a deacon was not your idea. And in a sense, you feel like, wow, I'm following Jesus in this way that I never would have imagined. And it's not always easy. This whole formation process, it's not so easy sometimes. It's not so convenient sometimes. It requires real sacrifice on my part, on the part of my, my spouse, my family. I don't always get along with my pastor, <laughs> for those of you who are already ordained, you know, or some of the staff, and it's like, whoa, you know, I didn't sign up for this, Lord. I mean, come on. So, yeah, it's really hard sometimes. I used to uh, be on a road team. We called it a road team back in the day as a legionary. When we were still, you know, when I first joined in the 90s, we didn't have so many communities set up all over the country where you could stay. Uh, or, or set up shops, so to speak. So we would sometimes just leave from a home base and then travel out to these different cities to help start schools or camps or you know sections of men and women, what have you, youth sections and so on. So anyway, I'm traveling with this one Irish priest as a, as a seminarian and we would go and visit families and he would say to them, well, here's the difference between you and brother and I. He said, you two got to choose each other I didn't get to choose him. <laughs> I'm stuck with him. <laughs> so, and we were together more than any married couple because we, you know, we traveled together all day and ate together and, you know, so we were together all the time. So that requires a lot of virtue, right? So when you're working with people that you didn't really choose to work with, that requires a lot of virtue, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of grace, a lot of grace, a lot of honesty, uh, a lot of courage at times to, to say and do things that are, are not necessarily going to be very well received or it's going to be hard for people to hear. And that's, again, that's what I love about the Chosen series is you get to see the humanity of the apostles and how difficult it was for them to follow Jesus and to get along with each other. You know, who's in charge and what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? And Thomas worrying about not having enough food and, you know, the, the prejudices and it's tough. It's really tough. And so it really does take a lot of grace, God's power and presence to, to really just cover all that you're doing. So, yeah. I mean, again, that's why you want to go into your ministry with, with a lot of prayer. Because there are so many things that are going to be out of your control, just like in life, just like in family life. It's no different. There are going to be so many things that are really out of your control. Whenever we're dealing with human beings, right? <laughs> A lot of variables. 
a lot of unpredictable things. So we just need a lot of grace, a lot of mercy. And God is there. God is there in all of that. Sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes that's hard to feel. But God is there. He wants you to know that he is there with you every step of the way. And he, that he is the one leading. He's the one leading. Remember, he said, follow me. So what does that mean? That means he's leading you. <laughs> yes, even to that you know, parish council meeting or to you know, that RCIA meeting or whatever it might be. He's there. He's there. So let the, the word of God speak to you. And as you read and, and pray with these words and with these characters, these apostles and with the Lord, just try to appreciate what God is doing in your life and how it, it reflects what they, what they had to do. There's really nothing new under the sun, as we say. But the Lord is always doing something new. That's the good news. That whenever we pray, whenever we open up our minds and our hearts to God, we're allowing heaven, so to speak, to come down and to shine through us. So never underestimate the power of your prayer and the power of God's grace. I mean, the fact that you're in this room, right? The stories that you all have that have brought you here. My story, you know, that was, that's all God's grace at work. Somebody was obviously praying for us, right? Somebody was obviously praying for us. And God somehow got through to us. So don't forget those things. Continue to pray and be patient with your brothers and sisters that you minister with. So why don't we do a little, a little contemplation here. Let's just do a little exercise together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. We invite you here right now to help us pray, to help us contemplate. We've been reflecting on your word. And maybe we could all just try to imagine that fire that Jesus made by the seaside. and the little meal that he prepared there, the warm breakfast that he prepared. So just imagine the soft sand, the warm, soft sand, and the water. It's, it's a gentle sea this morning, it's not raging or anything like that. It's 
It's very gentle. The sun is out. The sun is reflecting off the water. And maybe you can just imagine yourselves as individuals or as couples in a little boat out on that gentle water, not too far from shore. And you look back at the shore and there's Jesus standing right there on the beach. And he's calling out to you by name. And he says, come on in. Come on in. I've prepared a little breakfast for you. I've been looking forward to this time with you this morning. So you roll on in. Jesus has a big smile on his face. You step out out of the boat. He helps you out of the boat. The sand is nice and warm, soft. You're, you're barefoot. And Jesus just has this big smile on his face and holds your hands, gives you a nice big hug. just invites you to sit down next to the fire. And he's just wanting you to know how nice it is to be with you, how happy he is to be here with you that he was happy to prepare this moment. And he wants you to feel that. He wants you to experience that joy. I think I mentioned it yesterday or even Friday night, but a great little definition of joy is to be in the presence of somebody that you know is happy to be with you. That you're able to feel, sense, perceive that this person you're with is happy to be with you. And when they show that, when they express that delight in being in your presence, that brings joy to your heart. That's what joy is, spiritual joy, spiritual gladness. And Jesus wants you to know, he wants you to experience, he wants you to feel that he is happy to be here with you, that he is risen, that he is alive, 
He has called you by name. And he wants to assure you that there's nothing you could do to make him love you any more or any less. There's no way you could disqualify yourself from his love, from his friendship. He wants to affirm you. He wants to affirm you for who you are. He wants to affirm your identity. Now he just takes your hand. You join hands with Jesus and with your spouse. If, if he or she is there. And even if your spouse has passed on, well, guess what? They are alive. <coughs> he or she is alive in Christ. So you can even bring your deceased spouse with you there in that moment. maybe any other loved ones that you have who are deceased that really helped you in your faith journey. This is the beautiful thing about prayer and the resurrection, the communion of the saints. We are all alive in Christ. So for me, my dad, who passed four years ago, I often bring him into my prayer. My grandparents, my grandma was my confirmation sponsor. So I can easily just have all of them around the fire with me. We're all just joined. We, we join hands. And Jesus just unites us all in his love. And Jesus just, just reminds me he reminds all of us, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I am making all things new. Everything that the Father has is mine. And all that is mine is his. And nobody and nothing can take you out of his hands. So just imagine you and your closest family and friends living a deceased right there around Jesus, holding hands with Jesus and Mary and Joseph. You can imagine your favorite saints, your guardian angel. Don't forget you have a guardian angel. Your angel is right behind you. So you have your inner circle there, 
your inner circle of family and heavenly friends. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And this is a little foretaste of heaven. Heaven is the marriage feast of the Lamb, where we celebrate his love, we celebrate his victory, we celebrate our life in Christ. And every Sunday, every Mass, really, is a celebration of this new life in Christ. And now as you look out at the sea, Jesus gives you this vision of the great multitude of the saints on the shores of eternity. And all of a sudden you see this great army, this great multitude of angels and saints worshiping the Lamb, praising Him. Jesus speaks to you and says, you are part of this great multitude. You are a part of this family of believers. This is my body, the mystical body of Christ. You are a part of this, my body. I've claimed you for myself. You belong to me. Your names are written in the book of life. I have a future and a hope in store for you. doing something new in your life and I'm doing something new in the church. The church triumphant is cheering you on. I have much to share with you. This little breakfast that I've prepared for you here is just a symbol, a sign of the sacred meal that I share with you every day. I hold nothing back. I don't keep anything from you. I give myself to you totally and freely, faithfully and fruitfully, eternally. Powerfully, I hold nothing back. All that I have is yours. All 
do is ask. Believe, believe me. It's all true. If you want to ask those who have gone before you, is it true? Is it all true? Is it all so beautiful? Is it all so real? And they respond, oh yes, it's all true. It's, it's so much more than you can even imagine. We are more fully alive here on this other side of the veil than we ever were on Earth. But the more you open your heart to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, you will be more fully alive each and every day. You will see with new eyes and hear with new ears and love with a new heart. Speak words of life. There's so much more. That's what they're saying to us. There's so much more. Expand your horizons. Increase your your faith. Ask for more faith. Ask for more hope. Ask for more love. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for calling me by name. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for claiming me for yourself and for the Father in the Spirit. Please help me to live more and more by faith and not by sight. Like St. Paul. Help me to invoke the saints and the angels, their help, their protection. Help me to have this supernatural vision and the spirit of faith as I live my life so that I can live it to the full, so that I can have that abundant life that you came to give me, that you died to give me. May your perfect love for me drive out all fear. It's not our perfect love that drives out all fear because we don't have perfect love, but it's our experience, our encounter with God's perfect love for us that drives out all fear.
Let's finish with that from John's first letter, chapter 4, verses 13 and following. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his own spirit. And we have seen it testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. His perfect love for us casts out all our fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the one begotten by him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.